0: me in your Bibles, please, to the first chapter of the epistle of Paul to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, here now, the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye he heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye he heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause also, or we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God." "...strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Okay, the author of the book is the Apostle Paul. The church is the, or the recipients are the church in, or is the church in Colossae, characterized here as saints and faithful brethren. We note that judgment of charity that we talked about earlier today. Uh, Certainly Colossae was not a chief city, but it was on the major route east from Ephesus, about a hundred miles. If you were going to, take shipping from the Aegean Sea, right, in between uh, Greece and Turkey on the western coast of Turkey, if you're going to take that inland, Ephesus would be one stop on the way and Colossae would be the next, okay? So most scholars are agreed that there was a decent amount of communication that existed between Ephesus and Colossae and also Laodicea because uh, Ephesus and Laodicea were pretty close together as well. And so, uh, at the end of this book, Paul will say, make sure that this epistle is read to the Christians in Laodicea, or the church there, and the epistle of, to the Laodiceans, which many believe was the, Ephes- the, the Ephesian epistle, that it's read in Colossae as well. And that's why we have such parallels between Colossians and Ephesians. Um, <coughs> Let's see, the church was probably founded during Paul's preaching at Ephesus. Uh, we suppose then that Epaphras was one of the men, and he was a minister in the Colossian church, and now Paul commends him as the one who preached to the Colossians. This is one of Paul's prison epistles during uh, his, his uh, first Roman imprisonment, uh, described in the 28th chapter of Acts. A.D. 60 to 63, somewhere around there. Um, in this state, remember, he was allowed visitors, although constantly he was under guard, and no doubt the apostle made use of that. In the last epistle, in Philippians 4, he said, they of Caesar's household salute you. Hmm. Why was that? Well, we think Paul was active in evangelization even among Caesar's household while he was in prison. Right? The location, the apostle is in the Palatine, and we've already talked about where where Colossae is. So let's move to a brief outline. Uh, We have the salutation in 1 1 through 3. Then in verses 3 through 8, we have introductory comments and affection given. 9 through 12, we have Paul's prayer for the Colossians. 13 through 19, we have a Christological statement in relation to our redemption. 20 through 23, the accomplishments of Christ. 24 through 29, the apostolic labor on behalf of the gospel. Then in chapter 2, 1 and 2, we have continuation and encouragement. But then in 3 through 15, we have this wonderful statement of the divine person and work of Christ. In 16 through 23, the folly of not holding to Christ, the head. And then asceticism in 221 and following, uh, we have errors that... That, that, that follow that, we, we learn about will worship, don't we? Then in three and four, we have a more practical bent where we talk about domestic relations and so on. Okay? So we'll leave that there. Um, how do we remember the book? Okay. Watch my finger. Communication of Christology made ready for the perfection of the Colossians. C-C-R-P-C. Okay? Communication of Christology made ready for the perfection of the Colossians. Uh, thought I heard a groan or two. <laughs> uh, the only other thing that I, that I would want you to remember in that, in that little pithy remembrance there is that the first part of the book of Colossians is highly Christological. We learn some wonderful things about Christ in the first two chapters. Okay? All right, let's dive into the text then. <clears throat> so, uh, in one, 1 through 3, we have the introduction, the salutation, and so on. Paul announces to himself that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say bondservant here, although many other times he will, adu- he'll, he will introduce himself as an apostle and a bondservant. We have said before, haven't we, that there may have been some trouble among the bondservants in Colossae. And so we have an extended section in chapter 3 on the duties of bondservants. Okay? Um, Colossae is also that city where Philemon was. If that helps you to make that connection. To the saints and faithful brethren. Right? So... Faithful here means those who believe, not steady or trustworthy, not faithful in that sense, but faithful in that they are believers. And notice that judgment of charity once again. And we want also to take example from Paul's prayers as he says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. In its frequency and in what Paul prays for, he is an example to us as to how to pray for our brethren in Christ. So he, he, uh, uh, the way of salvation is set forth in, in, in these prayers. Since we heard of your faith in Christ, the love which you have to all the saints, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, uh, and so on. You've heard it through the gospel which has come unto you as it is in all the world. Remember that all the world doesn't mean that while Paul is in prison, there's somebody in Alaska preaching the gospel. It's not what's being spoken of there, right? This is a general statement. All the known world in and around that main population center, right? In Palestine, into parts east, parts west and south, and so on. Even up into uh, present day Europe. Okay, so uh, we hear about Epaphras. Then verse 7, he's a faithful minister of Christ. And he has come to see Paul in prison and declared uh, unto Paul the love uh, that the Colossian church has. And so we, we see there this, this communication and the encouragement that it is to Paul. And then, uh, since we heard of that, we don't cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding Beloved, don't let anyone ever tell you that doctrinal content of Christianity is secondary. It comes first. Paul, in the first order of his prayer here, says, We are praying for you that you will develop all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Learning the knowledge of his will in all things. Is Christianity heady? Is it intellectual? It should be. It's not only intellectual, but it should be there is an intellectual content to what true Christianity is. So he begins then with um, that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Already the Apostle Paul begins to unfold, unpack, and destroy that element of, uh, say, a proto-Gnosticism that existed in Colossae. Gnosticism is an ancient mystery religion. Um, Its main tenets had to do with hidden or secret knowledge. And only the initiates of that could actually profit and travel from a lower spiritual plane to a higher spiritual plane through secret knowledge and intellectual keys to unlock spiritual doors and weird things like that. That there was only one, quote, pleroma or fullness. And that was the unknowable God. And that everything else was somehow derivative of him but corrupted. And the world was created by a a corrupt emanation out of that pristine and perfect God that could not ever come into contact with something so earthly as matter. And so in order to ascend to various levels of spiritual blessing, there was secret knowledge, incantations, um, and other such uh, like passwords and things like that to ascend to a higher level of spirituality. Notice that ye might be filled with all the knowledge, with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul will say, this fullness that we're talking about, this pleroma that we're talking about, it's available to you, Christians very important for us to understand that okay so first he prays for spiritual wisdom and understanding second he prays that ye might walk worthy of the lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god so notice first we start with knowledge that knowledge graduates into into greater good works and then those good works actually feed back into our knowledge there is a practical knowledge as well that Paul speaks of here. Okay, so they're not separate knowledge and labors, good works and spiritual understanding. Those things dovetail together and they feed one another. Right? If we think of, of it only as good works are something separate from the, these, these things of knowledge that Paul is talking about, no. Paul will say it's the knowledge, it, knowledge is unto good works, which is unto more knowledge. Okay, so a a part of your growth in grace and in the knowledge of Christ is good works. The Lord has designed them. This is what we'll talk about, Lord willing, this afternoon. That the way of the Lord is a fortress to the upright. And we'll unpack what that means a little bit later. All right, so then, um, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Notice that Paul doesn't pray for supply for them in this world, but patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. These are the spiritual characteristics that we ought to be looking for. Verse 12, then, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, the word M-E-E-T there, uh, he has made it right for us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light And again, he will say uh, he is speaking against Gnosticism here because that pristine, unknowable God dwelt in that light, right? Notice that the saints also know that light in one way or another, and we'll see how as the chapter goes by. We have been delivered then from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of his, God's dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, first of all, we hear that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay? But now we're going to talk about these great Christological themes that begin in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. That is, what can be seen of God is seen in Christ because he is God. Okay? Secondly, he is the firstborn of every creature. You might have someone that comes knocking on your door, and you open the door, and the magazine says, Awake on it, or uh, Watchtower, or something like that, right? They're from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Notice they don't call themselves a church, thankfully, because they're not. And what they will say is they'll want to turn to Colossians 1.15 immediately, and they want to show you, see, Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. That is, their interpretation of that is, that he's the first created thing. The firstborn of all creatures. Of course, what Paul means there is he uses the term firstborn not as a first created thing, but the inheritor and disposer of all things. And we know this, don't we? Because there were times in the ancient world when certain individuals gained the right of primogeniture that were not the firstborn themselves. Right? In other words, the title firstborn is a title that has to do with the disposer of the inheritance. And it is not necessarily even in the ancient world the firstborn son. So we're not speaking of that here. We're not speaking of of Christ's uh, uh, creation before everything else was created. And we know that because Paul goes on to explain, for by him, by Christ, were all things created, whether they be thrones or dominions or powers. All things. And he's before all things, right? And so our Lord Jesus Christ is actually the creator. And so in keeping with their perverse doctrine, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Bible and Tract Society of the Watchtower, will insert the word other in verse 16. For by him were all other things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, uh, and so on. Wow, that doesn't change the meaning at all, does it? Well, yeah, it changes the meaning entirely. We don't want. We don't want to insert the word "other" there simply because it's not in the text. Not there. There is no ancient manuscript that they can point to. There is no. Uh, perverse corrupt discarded manuscript that somebody pulled out of a trash can and oh no there's the word other right there we're gonna we're gonna hang on to that not even that exists there's nothing in the ancient world that would point to that okay okay so he is before all things and by him all things consist yes the baby in the manger holds the universe together yes that is true and he is the head of the body the church. So not only is, the, is he God himself, the creator and sustainer of all things, but he is also the head of the body. And, he's, and as the head of the body then, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler who is risen from the dead. Right? Now there are other folks in history that came up out of the grave, but none of them according to the resurrection unto glory. Christ is the only one that is risen from the dead as the firstborn from the dead, the firstfruits of them that have fallen asleep, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15. So we have to make that distinction there rightly to understand the passage. And notice that in all things he might have the preeminence. In all things he might have the preeminence. As the eternal son of God, the creator of all things, and as the redeemer, the head of the church. In all things he might have the preeminence. Finally, then uh, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Again, the word play Roma. Right? And so Paul is chipping away at that Gnostic foundation that says that the pleroma is somewhere out there, cannot be known, cannot be understood, cannot be touched, cannot be seen. Uh, no, it's here, it's in Christ. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. And he will will actually say later in chapter 2 that he's the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Again, using that term, pleroma. So the Christological errors that that are wound up in Gnosticism, Paul is chipping away at them. And so for us, what we get is a wonderful Christological statement. Okay, so then notice we have the work of Christ's redemption in verse 20. He has made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven it's an interesting thing to think about we might think of him reconciling all things to God his father but that's not what the passage says he's reconciling all things to himself for he himself is the offended God as well so all things are being reconciled to him there in verse 20. And now he will turn to the Colossians and he will say, you that were sometime alienated and enemies and so on. He'll talk about Christ's atonement work in the body of his flesh through death that he might present uh, us, you, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And then we note in verse 23 that this salvation is had by faith alone. If you continue in the faith, grounded and, and uh, settled and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. Finally, it was preached to every creature under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. It's ubiquitous in its, in its distribution. Now in verses 24 through the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul will talk about the rigors of the apostolic ministry and that he suffered. He suffered mightily. For the gospel's sake. Notice. Who now. Me. Paul. I Paul. That minister. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is behind. Of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. For his body's sake. Wait a minute. There are afflictions left behind? And that's been a stumbling block to some folks. As they've read through Colossians 1. I think what Paul is simply saying is. There are afflictions of Christ. Yet to be suffered not atoning afflictions but the persecutions that come upon the people of God they are the persecution of Christ in that it is on behalf of him that his people suffer and so they are left after Christ has ascended into heaven remember what he told his disciples you'll do greater works than I do some of those works greater works in persecution and suffering I think and so Paul will say that these things remain, and they are on behalf of the church. And I'm made a minister of that church, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And the the uh, the uh, the word minister there is that word that he's used earlier for Epaphras. It simply means that. The minister of the gospel, whether an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher, that minister of the gospel is a servant to Christ, first and foremost. Like we said before, the minister doesn't work for the congregation. He works for Christ, and he must give answer to him. Okay, so then um, he's going to talk about the economy of God, the dispensation of God, which is given to Paul for you, Colossians. To fulfill the word of God, which is what? That the Gentiles also will be partakers of the hope, like we read in Ephesians. This is the same mystery being spoken of here. Christ in you, you Gentiles, the hope of glory. Now I would think everyone sitting in this room would be really glad to hear that, seeing that most of us, I would imagine, are not of Abrahamic extraction. Right? That we, us Gentiles... That the gospel is reached as far as North Texas. As far as, we, we, we might go around the room and look at our ancestry, right? As far as the British Isles, as far as China, as far as wherever you choose. Every creature under heaven, Paul said. right? When we see that great multitude which no man can number, it is from every kindred and tribe and tongue. The gospel... Uh, even from the days of Abraham, when it was promised to him, when God preached the gospel to him, God said to him, what? In these shall all the families of the world be blessed. So the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And now we close the chapter with a couple of brief exhortations, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man, In all wisdom. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. Paul characterizes preaching here as warning and teaching. I thought it was supposed to make me feel good about myself. I thought it was supposed to, you know, make me feel all warm and gushy inside. You know, it was supposed to inflame my my self-appreciation. Warning every man. And teaching every man uh, in all wisdom... And now, you gentlemen that ascribe to the ministry, now we see the goal of the ministry here. That we may present every man perfect in Christ. And it's nothing short of that. This is why we must preach all the counsel of God. Right? That's the goal of the ministry. That's what Paul says. And so finally, we see his own commitment to that goal, whereunto I also labor striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily and notice that paul doesn't exclude human striving but he shows its pointlessness and fruitlessness except the lord strive in us or work in us right okay thus the chapter ends let's stand and call upon